Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Founders Script by Madeira.ai. Today we have Corey from Ground Up VC. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us a bit more about yourself, a bit of a background before we get to the details. Yeah, happy to. I, um, so I'll, I'll do, uh, I'll start kind of where I am now because that'll help set up the, the background a little bit. So with Ground Up, um, it's me and a partner who's based in Israel uh, who I met in college, which is why I wanted to set up that I had a partner who, who I met in college because then I'll, I can start back in college where we met. So me and David went to Wharton um, undergrad. Um, I'm from LA originally. Met David, I believe, our sophomore year of college and uh, became pretty close friends. We were housemates there. Uh, in Philadelphia and after school uh, stayed obviously very close and David went to Blackstone for a year uh, before moving over to Israel. I went to investment banking um, for a couple years before um, starting moving into the startup world where I ran product at an early stage startup here in New York for three years. Uh, meanwhile David was in Israel uh, starting helping to start a VC fund out there called Our Crowd. Um, so we ended up, our, our industries ended up kind of, kind of merging. I was more on the operational side. He was more on the investing side. And, um, at some point, uh, we decided that our combined experience and networks would make, and our relationship would make for a strong, uh, early stage fund. And, um, him and I chatted about it many times. I got interested in the investing side from my role operationally. And, um, we decided to go out and try to raise a small fund. Uh, with my operational experience in David's investing track record, um, blew away our fundraising expectations, and uh, it's been a really fun ride ever since. So we've been investing for about two years now, did our final closing a little over a year ago, but had been investing a little bit ever since the first closing a little over two years ago. And um, happy to get into it more, but, but very high level ground up focuses. We're a generalist fund, but we do a lot of um, prop tech and fintech investing largely because our networks are very valuable uh, in those spaces and um, they're able to help us add a lot of value add to the deals we do. So um, that's kind of the brief history. We do pre-seed and seed investing uh, here in the U.S. and in Israel where David is. Okay. So how important is investor training for angel investors or individuals looking to pursue a career in venture capital or it's something that one can learn through experience? Yeah, you know, it's a good question, and, and you, I think people in the venture world hear this all the time. I'm not sure if people outside of it know it as well, but it's, it's totally an apprenticeship job. Um, and that, all that means is that you learn a lot from the, from the person you work with, usually the more superior person your, will be your mentor. Um, so an angel investor can learn a lot on the job. I think you actually learn even more. Um, if you started, if you go to a fund and, and have that mentor, I think it's extremely valuable. I, I, I think that you can't replace um, learning the processes, the right questions to ask, the right diligence to do from someone who's been doing it a long time. And as an angel investor, you're learning a little bit more on your own. And, and obviously, you can still learn a lot through that experience. But having a mentor is extremely helpful. Um, I think that's even magnified at the early stage where, where we invest. Um, it's because it's a lot less number crunching. Um, 
which is more common at the growth stage, it's a lot more of those non-analytical skills. A lot of things that you learn through, through doing and through seeing how other people evaluate companies versus just going, hey, here's some numbers, here's the growth rate, you know, pump out what the valuation is. It's, there's a lot more um, qualitative skills to learn and it's important to learn that through people who have done it before and have learned to evaluate companies in that, in that specific manner versus people who have evaluated companies um, through models and things like that. Very interesting, very interesting. And uh, so this brings me to my uh, next question. So in your experience, how different do you think is the entrepreneurial DNA across different geographies? Or do you think it falls on a uniform spectrum globally since you're in Israel, East Coast, West Coast, and I believe multiple other jurisdictions as well? Yeah, so we do. Yeah, so we do all over the U.S. and Israel. Um, so specifically, it's an interesting question, specifically to the entrepreneurial DNA. Uh, I think that they're, you know, at, at the core of every entrepreneur is someone who is a risk taker. And, and, and I think it's most people, most good entrepreneurs at least, are comfortable with the uncomfortable. I think that, you know, I, I know people who are just not built to be entrepreneurs because they like the nine to five, clock in, clock out, you know, know after they know after five o'clock, okay, I can turn on the TV, I can take a nap, I can go to dinner and not check my work email, not even think about my office. And there are people that like that. And that's not and that's fine. That's that's not the DNA of an entrepreneur who's it's it's that's someone who, you know, can make a lot of solid money and take a little bit less risk and have a little bit less um, or have a little bit more certainty in their life, I should say. Um, that DNA, I think, is pretty um, standard across every geography. I wouldn't say that that varies from what I've seen, you know, on the East Coast where I am in New York versus San Francisco or versus even Israel. The main differences, I think, in entrepreneurs, honestly, across geographies is just more so the businesses they tackle. And I think, you know, you can get into that a little bit more. But like in, in New York, you'll see, you know, more... Uh, more consumer stuff than San Francisco and um, more prop tech stuff. And uh, in Israel, you see more cyber and things like that. But in terms of entrepreneurial DNA um, and what it takes to be an entrepreneur and what's in your blood, I think that that's pretty uh, uniform ac across the globe. Uh, in, and again, it's just the, the way I sum it up is comfortable with the uncomfortable is the, is the key kind of trait to make that, that I think makes up an entrepreneur. And what advice would you give to someone who wants to be an investor and does not know where to start? Yeah, so I think that you could talk to a lot of venture capitalists and every single one will tell you that almost none of them knew where to start and most of them didn't even know they were going to venture capital. So the, the first answer to that is that no one in this business knew where to start. So there's, not, there's no advice to say, hey, start here and you're on the path. Um, there's really no right path to becoming an investor. Um, my advice would really be uh, to start building your relationships. This is totally a relationship job, whether it's with a mentor or with the startup ecosystem or with other investors. Um, everyone relies on relationships, especially at the early stage um, in this business. So I rely on other investors to share deal flow. I rely on other investors to uh, help me follow on with my companies. I rely on my network of experts to help me do diligence and vet companies and then potentially, potentially even be customers. 
And that's all just heavy lifting up front, knocking on doors, sending emails, scrambling around town to see, you know, to see person to person, to meet them in person. Or, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, in in-person meetings go a lot farther than, than phone calls, especially um, in building those, those early connections. Um, if you're a good person, there are other good people in this business who will at least take a call with you. And then after that, once you've built this up, and by the way, start with people, especially graduates of, of, who've graduated college, start with people who are in your alumni network. People are very interested in, in meeting other young people um, who are trying to get into industries and build up relationships that they have that connection with. So for instance, I reached out to a bunch of people who graduated Wharton and they were super helpful and always open to take a call. And then after you have those relationships, it's about give, give, give. So everyone, I want deal flow. Every VC wants deal flow. Every VC wants relationships that they can uh, leverage for whatever situation, whether a portfolio company is hiring, I want to meet you so that maybe you're a candidate for that at some point. So give, give, give. So after you develop those relationships, go on and try to um, figure out ways, find deals and share them across those newly created relationships. And eventually good things will happen. Um, the other thing you can do is that I recommend is go hustle on LinkedIn. Um, you know, you can reach out cold to people. There's, there's this new concept of, of hustling that, that is really trending these days that people are big, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. I, there's a point where it's too much hustle, but I do think you can do the small things that you may not think make a lot of sense, like reaching out cold to someone on LinkedIn and you may not, not out of 10 people, nine may not answer you, but the one that does could could turn into something pretty life-changing for you. So make those calls, use your alumni network, use LinkedIn, use your friends, build relationships, and then do whatever you can to help the people that you just built those relationships with. And I think if you do that, you're on a good track. But the, the short answer is there's no, there's no right path. There's no, you know, I can't tell you go do this and do that. And it happens. Um, doing all those little things will end up paying off. So uh, you've already answered kind of like the next question I was thinking you of asking you. So, but what exactly is a great idea for you in fintech these days? And what advice would you give to someone who is struggling to implement a great idea? So there are there are so many uh, you know moving parts in a startup that it's hard to give one sweeping answer to help. Uh, someone struggling implementing a great idea. Um, there's, just because there's different reasons um, for why they may be struggling. Sometimes it's unfortunately the team, which is which is hard to fix. But sometimes it's the idea. Sometimes it's the market. Sometimes it's the product. So the best advice I can give, more generally, is just to take a step back and look at every aspect of your business. You have basically you have to find the hole in the boat first before you can begin fixing it. Sometimes people. You know, they don't know what's going on. They'll try to patch everything. They'll try to redo the boat. And that's the, that's the problem. Go, go find what's causing the boat to sink and fix it. And, and sometimes it's harder to find. So I always recommend talk to people. That's the ba most basic advice I can give. Talk to people inside and outside of your team. Use your family and friends. Don't get stuck believing you're the only one who can find the answer. I think a lot of founders, especially, they believe that this is their baby. They don't like to seek, they think they can do it on their own, they're hesitant to seek outside help. Um, that's the worst thing you can do. I mean, mo most people who are starting companies have a ton of different people they can lean on. Sometimes it's investors, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's family, um, who can look at what, what you're building with a fresh set of eyes. 
And um, sometimes that's all you really need to find that hole in the boat. Um, in terms of what's a great idea to me, um, it's funny, most founders that I talk to have great ideas. It's not like, I don't get off the phone with a founder very often and go, boy, well, that was a dumb idea. Um, usually, if you get to me or you get to some investor, usually it's a pretty good idea. Um, but I do think a lot of times, okay, well, if I gave myself this cash that they're asking for, could I build the same thing? And if the answer is yes, that's probably not a good sign, even if the core idea is great. Essentially, what I'm looking for and what I think most investors are looking for is the founder and the team need to add something to the mix, whether it's relationships that they have, specific domain expertise. They need to bring something unique to the table. Then the idea itself, if it's B2B, I need you to be a great storyteller, solving something really life-changing for your customers. Um, something that, they, that, they, that if taken away, they beg to have back. If it's B2C, you need really strong distribution channels these days. I mean, you can't just win on paid spend anymore. Um, that's, not, that, that's a tough channel these days. So you need distribution's key. Um, and to me, those are kind of the ingredients to, to what is a great idea. And uh, financial mismanagement is one of the key factors why startups fail. Would you agree? It can be. It certainly can be. Um, I think that that's probably more generally true with more inexperienced teams with unhelpful investors. Because I, I think that um, you know a good team and a and a group of investors who who is advising a team well can avoid. Uh, financial mismanagement being a problem. Um, I think that, you know, these days you can adjust and replan so easily that you can usually manage um, poor financial management. Um, you can usually recover from it, I should say, versus, versus manage it. But listen, at the end of the day, a good company is always going to be able to raise. I, I think that, you know, um, financial mismanagement might lead to that happening sooner than they planned but it won't kill you if you're a strong company. If you're a bad company, financial mismanagement can definitely be a killing factor in that. And usually what happens is, oh, you know, we, we, we plan to, to have this much runway to hit these milestones. We're not hitting these milestones. And that's usually the kiss of death. So you have to be able to re-plan and re-budget accordingly when, you're, when you realize, okay, our milestones are actually six months away when we thought they were gonna be two months away at this point. We need, to, we need to really drastically change this quickly before, hopefully you realize it before that, because when it's down to two months, you're probably out of time. But the point is you have to recognize that we're not gonna hit the goals we need to hit um, with the runway we have left. So we need to replan and adjust accordingly. I think in this day and age with the right team and the right investors that's that's doable and financial mismanagement shouldn't be a kiss of death with inexperienced teams and maybe more inexperienced investors um it can certainly uh become a major issue so bookkeeping is one such service that is now being automated you know we hear a lot about ml and ai and automation of bookkeeping so what do you think that will we achieve 100 percent automated bookkeeping or is it just too frustrating it out? Yeah, I'll answer the second question first. I think that 100%, um, listen, at some point well down the line, maybe, I think that's not going to happen for a while. I think people want 
you know, companies want, investors want, um, someone, you know, some human contact there for something that's really important to their, you know, to their business. Um, I do think that in terms of the automation of book bookkeeping, um, I think it mitigates the cost of something that's usually incredibly annoying, costly and time consuming. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's one of the larger ingredients that we've seen nowadays. You know, people always talk about how easy it is to start a company because you have all this, all these SaaS platforms doing so much of that back office work for you. Um, it just makes it so much easier to get off the ground. I just think that's another, that, that, uh, automated bookkeeping is just another piece of that. And, um, again, I'm not so sure it's going to be the key element that helps many startups stay afloat. But, um, in terms of, you know, that, oh, more startups are not going to die now. But, um, I think it's, uh, another ingredient, another ingredient in that, as I mentioned, already evolving landscape that just makes it easier and easier to start a company. And frankly, this is all great for the ecosystem. Um, so the era of cryptocurrency is upon us or is it just the beginning? And what would you say to people willing to invest? Yeah, I think, um, so, you know, our fund has, has avoided crypto thus far, um, somewhat intentionally, somewhat not. If we saw a crypto deal, we'd like to, we would do it. I'm a big believer that, um, crypto is such a unique, uh, asset that an investment that, um, it makes sense and it's almost um, hard to play against other funds that have dedicated crypto teams. teams. So that, that scares me in terms of m me playing in that space. Um, I think that crypto has a lot of awesome potential use cases. We're obviously still trying to figure it out. Um, I tend to avoid it because I just don't think I'm as, I think you need a team devoted to it to be the best at it you can be from an investment perspective investing perspective and we just don't have that um but i i'm a i i think that i think people will figure it out i think that um you know it can't be i, I think crypto is is in the long run going to be a winning a winning asset and a winning new you know method of of payment and um i just wouldn't compete against funds that i think have more dedicated teams in that space that probably are a lot more educated than me and whose job is to stay educated in a daily. Um, I just don't think I have the necessary advantage to, to compete with them in it. Um, but I, I think crypto is, it's, you know, you very rarely get these generational changes like we're seeing with, you know, cannabis and crypto right now are two things I'd point out that, you know, are, are potential areas to make a lot of money in because they're, they're so nationed and, and, um, and it's rare to have industries like that um, where you can capitalize from the very beginning like you can in those two right now. So apart from the seed and follow-on capital, what other valuation ground of VC team brings to the table? We're, we're fortunate to have an amazing group of LPs. Um, our LPs mostly uh, run large companies in the sectors we invest in. It's one of the reasons, as I said earlier, we do a lot of prop tech and fintech is they are really strong in those networks, have really strong in those sectors, have really strong networks and can add a lot of value. Um, so, and so I think for us, given our check size, um, we're able to provide disproportionate value to a lot of the companies we invest in. 
by helping land large customers from day one for a lot of our businesses. Um, on top of that, at the end of our, at the end of the day, our fund is a startup too. I mean, this is fund one for us. It's a small fund. Um, so every time we invest in a company, we know that their success is extremely important to our success. Therefore, you know, more so than I think other funds and I think other funds will say this, but I, I think that, you know, you can ask our founders and, you know, the urgency that we have, I, I think we're better at it, but we're quick to get in the trenches with our companies whenever they need extra hands on deck for literally any project. Um, we've also worked hard to build out. We've hired a, a head of platform who's done an incredible job um, at building out our platform initiatives. We're proud to work with over 20 companies to offer fa our founders amazing perks on a lot of products and tools they use. Every once in a while, we even bring in some contracted help to help take some of the weight off of our teams. You know, just a quick example of that, just last month we had a designer um, come in-house for an entire month to help our companies for any design projects they needed. And our plan is to actually ramp that forward even more. We got incredibly positive feedback and we'd love to continue to do little initiatives like that. Um, so yeah, I think that um, between all that, I think this, we, we certainly, given our check size, can offer strong, strong disproportionate value add to, to our investments. What advice would you give to budding entrepreneurs or people who are looking to raise capital and how and when should they reach out to ground up VC? Well, that's a good, uh, it's a good question. I like that one because I like uh, uh, putting in a little, uh, a little uh, uh, shout out for us. But we so we named the fund ground up for a reason, um, meaning it's literally never too early to reach out for us. We, we want to hear from you and be with you from literally the ground up as you you're starting this comp as you're starting your company. Um, on that note, in terms of advice, um, again, it's hard to give a little. It's hard to give generic advice on how to raise capital. Um, for every founder and every idea they're working on, uh, there's different advice. But um, on that note, please reach out to us if you want advice. We'd love to. I'd love to give you more personal one-on-one uh, -on -one advice for anyone who's seeking it. Uh, you can reach me at Corey, C-O-R-Y, at GroundUp.VC, um, and I'd be happy to to give you advice on anything you're working on uh, individually. I think that's the best way to actually give advice anyway. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank, that was great. And people, if you're looking to raise capital or if you need advice, you should reach out to Corey, C-O-R-Y, at groundup.vc. Thank you so much again for taking the time out, Corey. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you.